welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Valley, we have with us, uh, I want to say special guest, but he's more like family. I love it when we have John Bevere here with us. And so I won't take any time introducing him other than to say, listen, he's got a prophetic message for the church. He's like a prophetic pastoral voice, and he's an extension of all that God is doing here at River Valley Church. And in River Valley fashion, I want you to welcome John Bevere as he comes to preach this weekend. Come on, John, bring the word. I love you. I love you so much. Thank you. Yes. Hey, church, it's so good to be with you. So good to be with my family in Minneapolis. I love this. Everybody stay standing. Uncle John's in the house. We know we always pray before we preach, right? Hey, listen, today I just want to say this, that River Valley has been a huge part of this Um, outreach. And it it came from a word of God back in May, uh, I think it was 31st, 2010. And today we have exceeded the 60 million mark. So we've given 60 million resources to pastors and leaders. Now, I really do mean we because River Valley has probably done a million of those 60 million. And in 57 languages, reaching a potential of 1.1 billion people, we are the only, we, River Valley Messenger and the rest, we're the only provider of discipleship resources in those 1.1 million people's lives. So you are reaching so many people because you have amazing leaders, and that is called Pastor Rob and Pastor Becca, who we respect so very much. I... um, a few years ago, I said, man, this is, Pastor, you know, who are the greatest leaders in the United States? People ask me this, right, that you meet in churches, because I'm all over the, the United States, and Pastor Rob is in my top five. So a few years ago, I said, Pastor Rob needs to be on our board, and so we snagged him, and I want to thank you for that, because he is a significant voice into our lives, and we love you, and we appreciate you so very much, and I love that you love golf, because that gives us something to do together. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Uh, I just want to say this, that I have a burden in my heart for the church in America. I might explode here today. Uh, If I do, please forgive me. I've been in ministry now over 40 years. This June, it was the 40-year mark, but never have I felt such a passion and a burden to release something to the United States of America. I think you're going to understand as we get into it what I'm believing for with all of my heart. I'm going to be sharing with you out of the newest book that I've written called The Awe of God. This book has been exploded more than any of the 23 books I've ever written in my life. No book has exploded like this one. And the reason is it's a prophetic, timely word. And I think you're going to understand it. So what I wanted to do is I don't want any of us, whether you're in the other nine campuses or here uh, today, I want us to really hear from God. I don't want this to just be a message. I want this to be a life-changing impact Okay, and, and I, you know, I usually show my family and you know my family is my dearest, but I really have to get in to this message, okay? And so how many of you believe God can change your life? Can change your life in one service? One service, then put up your other hand because the Bible says we don't have, because we don't ask. I could be the greatest communicator on the planet 
And if the Holy Spirit doesn't anoint these words, we're just gonna get information. We need transformation. Can you say amen? amen? Heavenly Father, we come before you as a church, as a people. We are so grateful, so grateful for what you've done in our lives. You've sent Jesus, and Jesus, you have come. Knowing what you were going to endure, you endured it because you loved us so deeply and dearly. I'm asking today, Holy Spirit, that you would invade our campuses. I am asking that you do what you love to do the most, and that is reveal Jesus in a way like we've never seen him before. As you do this, may we go from faith to faith, from glory to glory, and from strength to strength. For I decree your kingdom has come, and I decree your will shall be done in our sanctuaries today on this earth as it is in heaven. And for this, we give you all the glory and the honor and the praise and the thanksgiving. And it's in Jesus' mighty, wonderful, majestic, holy, awesome, magnificent name we pray. And everybody that agrees shouts. Come on, give him praise for what he's gonna do. Give him praise. Amen, 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 amen. I will say this, you may be seated. <laughs> um, when I get finished, um, there's 42 chapters in the book. I'm gonna maybe cover four or five, all right? They're short chapters and they're impact, high impact chapters. A lot of you are not gonna wait in line, I know that. So just do me a favor, just go to Amazon and order it there. You're all Prime members, so you'll get it at your door tomorrow, okay? What's important to me, it's much better for us if you get it at the tables, okay? What I care about is you just getting this message because you will understand why here in just a couple of minutes. I'm gonna open up this a burden that I carry with three scriptures. Scripture number one, I'm gonna begin with Isaiah 33, six. We are told that the fear of the Lord is God's treasure. I want you to stop and think about this. God's treasure. Do you have treasures? What do you do with your treasures? Do you throw them in a junk drawer? Do you put it out in the front lawn and carelessly? We hire security companies, we put them in safes. The fear of the Lord is God's treasure. Isaiah 11 verse three tells us, now look at this, the fear of the Lord is Jesus's delight. Now let's go to the New Testament. Paul the apostle tells us that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Not with love and kindness, with fear and trembling. So let's step back and think about what we just said. We are talking about God's treasure, Jesus's delight, and what matures our salvation. My question is, why aren't we talking about this more? First of all, let's ask the question, what is the fear of the Lord? Let me alleviate all concerns. It is not to be scared of God. How can you have a relationship of intimacy with somebody you're afraid of? And that is God's number one desire is to be intimate with you. So, what is the fear of the Lord? Well, let me just say this. When Moses brought Israel out of Egypt, he brought them to the mountain to meet with God. When God came down on the mountain, the people ran away. When they ran away, Moses was absolutely shocked. God was excited about meeting these people, but yet they ran away because his presence was too awesome. Moses said to the people, he said, do not fear in Exodus 20, 20, because God's come to test you that, he, that his fear might be before you so that you may not sin. Now, wait a minute, let's look at this. 
Do not fear because God's come to see if his fear is in you. Moses isn't contradicting himself. He is differentiating between the fear of the Lord and being scared of God. What is the difference? The person who is scared of God has something to hide. What does Adam do when he sins against the Lord? He hides from the presence of the Lord. The person who fears God has nothing to hide. That person is actually terrified of being away from God. The person who fears God doesn't say, how close can I get to the line of sin in the world and not fall into it? The person who fears God says, I want so close to him, I can't even see those lines. So your first definition of the fear of the Lord is to be scared, let me go one step further, to be terrified of being away from God. So what is the fear of the Lord? It is when we stand in awe of him. It is to honor, to tremble, to revere, to esteem, to respect, to value, venerate him more than anything or anyone else. When we do this, we take on his heart. Now, what is important to him becomes important to us. What is not so important to him is not so important to us. We end up loving what he loves. Now listen to my words carefully. And we hate what he hates. Notice we do not dislike what he hates. We don't ignore what he hates. We don't tolerate what he hates. We literally hate what he hates. You, you say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. John, God hates? Oh yeah, God hates. Now, let me alleviate fears. Let's show you what the legalist says. The legalist says, I fear God. That's why I hate those sinners. No, you have no fear of God because you hate what he loves. God loves those sinners, quote sinners, whatever you call it, so much that he sent Jesus to die for them. What God hates is the sin that unmakes the objects of his love. Do you see the difference? This is why Proverbs says that all who fear the Lord will hate evil because he, evil unmakes the object of his love. And that's human beings. That is why I hate pride, arrogance, corruption, and a perverted speech. So the very antithesis of holy fear is pride. When somebody truly fears God, they don't want anything to do with perversion, with corruption, with arrogance, or with pride. I will never forget back in the 1990s when I was a young minister and I was praying every day for two hours. And when I stood up to preach, my words didn't carry weight. I was saying the right things, but the words weren't anointed. Do you know what I'm saying right now? And I remember one day in prayer, I was a little frustrated and I said, God, I don't get it. I pray two hours every single morning and yet my words don't carry weight. There's no anointing on my words. And I'll never forget what the Holy Spirit said. He said, son, it's because you tolerate sin. Not only in your life, but in the lives of others. You don't hate sin, you dislike it and you even tolerate it. 
And I remember immediately he spoke to my heart and he said, read Hebrews chapter one. And so I go over to Hebrews one and I realize it's the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. God the Father is inaugurating him as king of the universe. And God the Father says to Jesus in Hebrews 1 verse 9, because you have loved righteousness. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, stop. All Christians love righteousness, including you. He said, but that's not all I said. Because you love righteousness and hated sin or lawlessness. Therefore, God, even your God, has anointed you beyond your companions. He said, son, learn to hate sin the way I hate sin, and you'll see the anointing increase upon your life. Still with me? So if you want to put the fear of the Lord into two categories, you can do it. It is to tremble at his presence, number one. And number two, it is to tremble at his word. Now let's talk about both of these briefly. What does it mean to tremble at his presence? God says through the prophet Jeremiah, he said, do you not fear me? Will you not tremble at my presence. We have to remember who it is we are serving. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, two men of God, Isaiah and John the Revelator, saw the throne of God. And when they saw the throne of God, they saw these massive angels called seraphim. And these massive beings are right beside the throne and stay there. And one is crying to the other, holy. Now, both Isaiah writes holy three times and John writes holy three times. That's just emphasis. That's like bold facing or italicizing today in English. They're not crying holy three times. They are crying holy so loud that Isaiah says they're shaking the doorposts of an arena that seats over a billion beings. Isaiah is a godly man when he sees the Lord. He doesn't say, dude, there he is, whoa. He cries out, woe is me. John the apostle, when he sees Jesus, the one he loved, falls down like a dead man. Now what's interesting is in both the Old Testament and New Testament throne room revelations of Isaiah and John, the angels aren't crying love, love, love. Is God love? Yes, he doesn't even have love. He's the very essence of love. He is love, but that's not what they're crying. They're not crying faithful, faithful, faithful. Is God faithful? Yes, you better believe it. He's faithful. But that's not the attribute of God that stands out above all others. Oswald Chambers says to us, when we preach the love of God, there is a danger of forgetting that the Bible reveals not first the love of God, but the intense blazing holiness of God with the love at the very center of that holiness. I'll never forget when I was asked to the nation of Brazil, 1997, it was the first time I'd ever gone to the nation. It was a national conference and there was over 300,000 people in the church network and I fly down and they drive me to the arena. It's not an auditorium, it's an arena. And I'll never forget, they put me on the platform because back in 1997, pastors used to, during worship, be on the platforms. Why they did that, they made spectacles of us. I don't, I still don't understand. But anyway, they put me on, and I'm glad that night they did because I'm looking at this arena and it's jam-packed. It's a national conference, it's a believer's conference. And there's not a seat open in the whole place. 
And the worship team's amazing. And I remember the first thing I noticed was the glaring apparent lack of God's presence in the arena. Now I'm confused. This is a believers conference and these are really good this is a really good worship team. And I remember closing my eyes on that platform and I said, "God, where's your presence?" And when I opened my eyes, I saw something I didn't see before. I saw people standing there during the worship, looking around with their arms crossed. I saw the hands in their pocket looking down. I saw them whispering to one another. I saw people coming down, the, the big old things, going to the concession stands that were all around the arena, getting their tacos, going back to their seats. They'd see somebody, they'd go high-fiving them. I'm like, okay, this will calm down, but it doesn't. They go through the praise, they go through the worship. And it's still like this. And I'll never forget after the worship, one of the leaders of the, the whole big massive movement gets up and starts reading from the scripture. And now because there's no music playing, you can hear a mutter from the people talking. I'm still seeing people walking around. I'm still seeing people just staring around. I'm like, are you kidding me? And the Holy Spirit spoke to me right there and said, son, you gotta address this. I said, yeah, but how do I even get their attention? And he gave me an idea. So they introduced me and I remember walking up to the, to the podium and I just sat there and put my elbow on the podium with my translator right there. I just stared at everybody and didn't say a word. Now, when you're the Friday night guest speaker at the national conference and you're not saying anything, just staring at people for about 60 seconds, that will get people's attention. All of a sudden, everybody stopped walking around. Everybody stopped looking around. Everybody stopped talking. They looked at me like, what are you doing? And when I knew that every eye in the arena was on me, this is the first words I ever said in public in Brazil. I didn't say, thank you for having me. Didn't show a picture of my family. I said, I got a question. You're sitting, talking to somebody, sitting across the table. Whole time you're talking to them, they got their arms crossed, looking around as if they're disinterested. They got their hands in their pocket, looking down, or they're whispering to a person sitting next to them. Will you continue to talk to them? No. I said, I've been in this arena for over an hour and there's not an ounce of the presence of God in this place because God will never come into a place where he is not held with the utmost of respect. I said, Psalm 89 verse seven says, God is to be greatly feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those who surround him. I said, you'll never find God in an atmosphere where he's not held with the utmost of respect. I said, if the president of your nation would have walked on this platform tonight, you would have given him 10 times the respect you gave the Holy Spirit. I said, if Pele, your greatest soccer player in Brazil's history, your national hero would have walked on this platform tonight, you would have been on the edge of your seats listening and anticipating for every word. I said, you've given no respect to the Spirit of God. And for the next 75 minutes, I preached them on the fear of God. When I was finished, I said, every person in here, you say you're a believer, but you lack the fear of God and you're willing to repent, stand to your feet. 75% of the arena stands to their feet. As soon as they did, the presence of God came in. People started crying all over the arena. I thought, finally. And I'll never forget, it was so beautiful. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, son, lead him in a prayer of repentance. I led him in a prayer of repentance. And I remember just hearing people just weep. It was beautiful. And I remember that presence lifted after four or five minutes and Holy Spirit spoke to me one more time. He said, son, I'm coming one more time. Now, there's no way I can ever do justice to what happened in the next few seconds. But I want you to imagine standing at the end of the runway over there at Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport and a Boeing jet takes off. That's the sound 
of the violent wind that came blowing into that arena. When it did, the people started screaming. Now, can you imagine an arena filled with Brazilians screaming? How loud that is. The wind was louder. And I remember I am standing on that platform. Now, I'm going to be really honest. I am petrified, but yet I'm drawn to it. I just, there's no way of explaining this. You're terrified, yet you're drawn to the presence. I had never experienced a presence like that, an authority like that. I am standing there, and I quite honestly had the thought go through my head. Bevere, you say one wrong word, you make one wrong move, you're dead. Now, would that have happened? I don't know. But it did with a husband and a wife in Acts 5. When they came to their church service, they brought an offering, and they acted in disrespect in that kind of atmosphere, and they buried both of them that day. Ananias and Sapphira. I'm standing there, and there are goosebumps on my goosebumps, and I'm going, oh my God, oh my God. I'd never experienced anything like this. And I remember the wind lasted 90 seconds. It subsided. When it subsided, people were collapsed all over the arena. They're weeping, not bawling, weeping. And I'm standing there, and I'm going, God, what do I do? Holy Spirit said, I'm through with you. So I said to the leader, I said, it's all yours. <laughs> So he whisked me out into the car and he put the singer, the soloist, and her husband in the car and she screams, did you hear the wind? I said, maybe it was a jet aircraft that flew too close to the arena. She goes, what are you talking about? And she got upset at me. Well, her husband calmed her down. He was a lot calmer guy. And he goes, Mr. Bevere, that was, that was no jet airplane. I said, how do you know? He said, there were security men and policemen all around the outside of the arena. He said, they're union workers. Most of them aren't even saved. He said, when the wind began to blow inside the arena, they came running in to see what was going on. He said, furthermore, I'm staying at the main soundboard to make sure that my wife's levels were correct. He said, the whole time the wind was blowing, he said that decimal meters were at zero. He said, not one ounce of the sound of that wind came through our sound system. And I remember they said, do you want to go eat? I said, no, take me back to my hotel now. And I remember staying on my balcony till 1.30 in the morning, just worshiping, going, did this really just happen tonight? I remember the next morning, the exact same arena, the exact same people. The miracles, the salvations that occurred were off the charts because of one reason. Holy awe. Two years later, See, I want to show you another scripture before I tell you about two years later. God says in Leviticus chapter 10, verse 3, by those who come near me, I must. Not it's a good idea. I must be regarded as holy. James says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. I've learned to get into the presence of God. That's what I do. I think of the awesomeness of God, the holiness of God, and I've gotten into his presence so much quicker. Two years after Brazil, it was 1999, I'm in the nation of Malaysia, Kuala Lumpur, the capital. This is another national conference. It's not an arena, it's an auditorium. And I'll never forget, we were on our 10th service, last service, and that presence came in again. I will never forget it as long as I live because this time it was even stronger. And I remember the same thought went through my mind. Bevere, you say a wrong word, you make a wrong move, you're dead. And I remember this time it lasted about four or five minutes. 
and I'm walking back and forth on the platform and out of my mouth comes these words. I had never thought of these words in my entire life. I said, this is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And my head kicked in and I went, that's it. Isaiah 11 tells us the spirit of the Lord would rest upon Jesus, spirit of wisdom, spirit of counsel, spirit of might, spirit of knowledge, spirit of understanding, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. I thought that's one of the seven manifestations of the Holy Spirit, but yet it was his delight. It was Jesus's delight. I remember when that service was over, the same thing happened again. I'm standing at the podium. It'd been about five minutes. People are collapsed all over the auditorium. And God said to me, I'm through with you, son. I turned it over to the leader. The leader's a really wise man in Malaysia. He came up and he said, we had a song planned. We can't do it. You can stay as long as you want. Service is over. You can leave when you want, but you can stay as long as you want. And I remember I stayed for about 15, 20 minutes. I was exhausted after 10 services. I remember I'm walking out. When I'm walking out, there was an Indian couple. So this is the largest Bible school in the nation of Malaysia. And this Indian couple from India were students in the Bible school. And I'd noticed that both of them got really nailed by that presence, if that makes sense. And I remember I'm at the back of the auditorium and I meet them and we just, we're just staring at each other. I mean, what do you say? We're just looking at each other. And I remember she broke the silence after about 30 seconds. And you know what she said? She said, I feel so clean inside. I said, that's it, that's it. You just identified what I felt in Brazil and what I feel right now. I feel clean. I remember I went to my hotel room that night and I thought, I feel so clean, I feel so clean. She nailed it, she nailed it. The next morning I'm getting ready to play basketball, right, with the, with the Bible school students in Malaysia, I'm putting on my gym shorts. And the Holy Spirit said, Son, read Psalm 19. I have no idea what I'm going to read in Psalm 19. So I just go over to Psalm 19. I start reading verse 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. I get to verse 9, and look what I read. The fear of the Lord is clean. I went, oh, my gosh, there it is. Now look at the next statement. Look at the next words. Enduring forever. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me in that hotel room, and he said, son, Lucifer led worship right before my throne. He was anointed to do so. He beheld my glory. He didn't fear me. He didn't endure forever. He said a third of the angels surrounded my throne. They beheld my glory. They didn't fear me. They did not endure forever. He said Adam and Eve walked with me in the cool of the garden. They saw my glory, beheld my glory. They didn't fear me. They didn't endure in the garden forever. He said, son, every created being, that surrounds my throne forever and ever will be tested in the holy fear of God. Afterwards, I started thinking there are pastors that have started in ministry, ministers that have started in ministry. They didn't endure. Then I look at what Barna just discovered in the last couple of years, that in the last 20 years, we've seen over 20 million people walk away from the faith in the United States alone, over 20 million. Do you know that that is 14% of America? That's not 14% of the people that go to churches. That's 14% of America is now professing agnostics, atheists, and spiritualists, and they were once practicing believers. Paul said that before that day comes, there's gonna be a great falling away. Guys, we're in the middle of it right now. 
But you know what Paul didn't write? He didn't say they wouldn't come back. And I believe just as John the Baptist was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, I believe God's raising up sons and daughters, men servants and maid servants that are gonna go forth and they're gonna call back those over 20 million that have walked away from the faith. Second manifestation is to tremble at his word. So the fear of the Lord or the awe of God is to tremble at his presence and to tremble now at his word. What do I mean to tremble at his word? You know, Isaiah was living in a time where Israel was much like the American church. They were choosing the convenient things to obey and ignoring the inconvenient things. And so God finally speaks to the prophet and says, hey, your lamb sacrifices to me are like offering pig's blood and all this other stuff, right? And then he makes this statement. He said, but this is the one that I'm going to look at. Now, the word look there is interesting. It means this, to pay close attention to. So listen to what God's saying. This is the person I'm going to pay close attention to. See, do you remember when Tommy Tenney years ago wrote a book called God Chasers? And there were all these people saying, I'm a God chaser. Can I say this? It is one thing to chase God. It's a whole nother thing to have God chasing you. Was God chasing David? He sends the prophet to Jesse's home. He goes through the seven sons and God says, that's not the boys I'm chasing. The boy I'm chasing is not with the sheep. See, I would love to be someone God is chasing. And God is saying, this is the one I'm chasing on him who is humble and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. What does it mean to tremble at the word of God? It means we will obey God. I know that's a tough word. Everybody say obey. It means we will obey him instantly. David makes the statement in Psalm 119, I will hurry to obey your commands. You ever meet somebody who goes, well, you know, the Lord's been dealing with me about this now for several months, and then they laugh about it. You're laughing about your lack of the fear of God. Wow. It means we'll obey God even if it doesn't make sense. Has God ever told you to do something that doesn't make sense? Does it make sense to forgive somebody that has really hurt you and your family? Does it make sense to bless those that are cursing you? Does it make sense to love people who hate you? Does it make sense to spit on the ground, make some mud and put it on a blind eyes guy's, uh, blind guy's eyes and tell him to wash and he sees? I could go on for the rest of the day. It means we'll obey God even if it hurts. The Bible says that Jesus obeyed the Father even to the point of death. And Peter says, as Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself with the same mind. Religion seeks out suffering to please the God, little g, it serves. Christianity says, I live in a fallen culture, therefore I know in obeying God, I am going to suffer. That's the difference. 
It means we'll obey God. To tremble at his word means we'll obey God even if we don't see a benefit. In the United States, we have raised up disciples that will only obey if they see a benefit. If you give, God will do this. If you pray, God will do this. If you obey, God will do this. Will God do this, this, and this? Yes, if you give, God will do this. If you pray, God will do this. But if that's your motive, you're in trouble. Because what if that would have been Esther's motive? She had nothing to gain and everything to lose, including her head. But she said, I'm going before the king, and if I die, I die. She feared God. It means we obey God when we tremble at his word all the way to completion. King Saul did 99.99% of what God asked him to do. God said he's rebelled against me. Well, God, why did you look at the 99% I did do? Why are you looking at the 0.01% that I didn't do? Sure is quiet here. <laughs> now I want to spend the last couple minutes on the promised rewards of the awe of God. Now let me tell you this. There's over 40 I've discovered. I've been studying this for 30 years. I've been praying about it for 30 years. I'm going to maybe get through two of the rewards. There are literally over 40 rewards that are made to only those who fear God in Scripture. I'm going to cover two of them. So the other 38 you'll get in the book. Okay, number one, what is the f- number one reward for the person who fears God? They get a relationship of friendship with God. Psalm 25 verse 14 says, now look at this scripture. Friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. With them, he shares his secrets. God doesn't share his secrets with everyone. He shares the secrets with his friends, just like you and I. We don't share secrets with acquaintances. We share secrets with our besties. God says, I share my secrets with those who fear me. They're my friends. See, who who is the first man that's called the friend of God in Scripture? Who is it? Come on. Abraham. Why is Abraham called the friend of God? Because when Abraham's really old, when that God comes to say, yes, Lord, yes, 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 sir. Abe, you know your son that you waited for for 25 years that you love more than anything or anyone else who I promised to you? Yeah, Isaac, yeah, sure I do. He's sleeping right now. I want you to go on a three-day journey and kill him for me. Did you just hear that? He didn't say, if you do this, then I'll send my son. He just says, go offer him as a sacrifice. That's it, period. And Abraham doesn't have Genesis to read like you and I do. So you know what my Bible says? Look at this. Early the next morning, Abraham's on his way. Now, God gives him a three-day journey to think it over. It's easier when you heard the booming voice of, of God the night before. What about two and a half days later, you haven't heard a thing from God, and you're looking at the mountain, you're going to put the most important person or death thing to death in your life just because God said and didn't give you a reason. So Abraham goes to the mountain, builds the altar. Can you imagine the emotions? Okay, he takes his 13-year-old son, ties him up on the altar, lifts up the knife, and ready and is ready to put the most important person or thing to death in his life, just because God said do it and didn't give him a reason. And the angel of the Lord appears, and the angel says, Abraham, stop. Look at this, because now I know you fear me. How does the angel know that Abraham fears God? because he obeyed instantly. 
Because he obeyed when it didn't make sense. Because he obeyed when it hurt. Because he obeyed when he didn't see a benefit. And because he obeyed to completion. Abraham puts down the knife, unties Isaac, lifts up his eyes. There's a ram caught in the thicket. And he goes, Jehovah, Jireh. God just revealed a facet of his personality to Abraham nobody had ever known before because he's my friend. Okay, you're not getting this. Okay, all right. All of you know me as John Bevere preacher. Some of you know me as John Bevere author, but there is a lady, and whoa, she is a lady. Her name is Lisa. She knows me as John Bevere husband, John Bevere best friend, John Bevere athlete, John Bevere dad, John Bevere G-daddy. Now, can I say this? None of you will ever know me as John Bevere husband. That is a facet of my personality that only one human being on the planet knows, the closest person to me. God just revealed a facet of his personality to Abraham nobody had ever known before because he's my friend. Now look at the relationship between God and Abraham. It's amazing. One day the Lord says, you know, should we do what we're planning on doing to Sodom and Gomorrah without first talking to our friend Abraham? So the Lord comes down and he and Abraham goes over to the cliffs and they're looking at the plains of Jordan and, and God looks at Abraham and says, Abe, we're thinking about blowing up these two cities. What do you think? Abe goes, Sodom? And the Lord goes, yeah, 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 Gomorrah too. What do you think? Abraham goes, my gosh, my nephew's over there. Think, think. Okay, God, you wouldn't like blow up those two cities if there was 50 righteous people, would you? And the Lord goes, excellent idea, excellent idea. Okay, we'll not blow up the cities if there's 50 righteous people. Glad we talked to our friend Abraham. Abraham goes, what if they're in 40, or five, 50? He goes, okay, wait a minute, Lord. What about 45? Would you blow it up if there's 45? The Lord goes, another good idea. So Abraham talks him all the way down to 10. There's got to be 10. Lots one, all I need is nine others. But there isn't. Now here's the thing. The Bible says Sodom and Gomorrah is buying, selling, trading, marrying, giving in marriage, planting and harvesting. What does that mean in our, today's vernacular? Life is great. The economy is booming. And if there is a God, he doesn't mind our lifestyle. They're 24 hours away from being obliterated, and they're clueless. That's not scary. This is what's scary. Everybody say this. Lot, who the Bible calls righteous. 2 Peter chapter 2. Can I put it in today's terminology? Saved, born again, Christian. Lot is 24 hours away from being obliterated, and he's as clueless as Sodom and Gomorrah. It takes two messengers of mercy, two angels, because Abraham prayed. Thank God Abraham prayed to get him out. Now look at this. You got two righteous men, two saved men, two born again. I'm going to modernize it. Two born again men. One righteous man knows what God's going to do before he does it and helps God decide how he's going to do it. The other righteous man is as clueless as the world. Why? This righteous man fears God. Therefore, he's the friend of God. Therefore, God shares his secrets with him. This righteous saved man is not the friend of God because he doesn't fear God. Therefore, God does not share his secrets with him. You say, John, is this in the New Testament? Oh, yeah. Look what Jesus said to the 11 in the Last Supper. He said, you are my friends. Now, we write songs about this. We preach sermons. But we never finish the sentence. Look at this. He says, you are my friends if, 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 if. If is a condition. There's a condition on friendship with Jesus. What's the condition, Jesus? If you do whatever I command you. That's the fear of the Lord, trembling at his word. What is Jesus saying? Not everybody in the church is my intimate, close friend. 
They might be saved like Lot. They might be righteous like Lot. But they're not my intimate, close friends. Therefore, I don't share my secrets with them. Now, you know what's really sad is I think I've possibly run out of time. And I only got to one of the benefits. The second one is even cooler. I'm going to do it. Okay, okay. Just give me a second. Give me, all right, second benefit is wisdom. Now you hear it all the time. Fear of the Lord's the beginning of wisdom. Why did we stop there? Because you know what Proverbs 14, 27 says? The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that turns one away from the traps of death. Okay, the word fountain means a continual flowing source. Notice death comes in traps. What do you need to have a successful trap? It needs to be baited and camouflaged. We know that. We're Minnesotans, right? <laughs> Correct? Okay. Now, the key word is fountain. The fear of the Lord is a fountain. The Hebrew says the, what it's implying is it's a continual flowing source. Okay? It's a fountain of what? Proverbs 14, or Proverbs 15, 33 says, it's the fountain of the instruction of wisdom. So let me put it together. The Lord is a continual flow of the instruction of wisdom to turn you away from the traps of death. Let me give you an example. I'm gonna give you an example of somebody who has no relationship with God, but yet he fears God. You say, whoa, 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 you can fear God and have no relationship? Yeah, Cornelius, he was a devout man. The word devout, go in the, in the Greek, he fears God. And so an angel comes and says, I can't tell you how to get saved, but Peter can. He's down the road. Go tell your men to go get him, and he's going to tell you how to get saved because God really wants a relationship with you. He feared God, but he had no relationship. Okay, who's the man I'm going to use? Abimelech. He's the king of Gier. Abraham comes into his country. Sarah's gorgeous. That's why. He says, I'm going to present you to the king as my sister. Abraham presents Sarah to King Abimelech as his sister, Abimelech's no dummy. She's gorgeous. He brings her into his harem. God comes to Abimelech in a dream at night and says, you are a dead man because the woman you have is another man's wife. And Abimelech in the dream goes, God, I didn't know. Abraham told me she was his sister. God said, look at this. God says, yeah, I know. That's why I did not let you touch her. I kept you from sinning against me. The fear of the Lord was a continual flowing counsel of wisdom in Abimelech that kept him from the trap Abraham set for him. Now, how can a man sit in church and hear the word of God preached by his pastor for 10 years and find himself in bed with another man's wife? It's not rocket science. No fear of God. How can a pastor preach from the Bible for 15 years and find himself in bed with his assistant, who is another man's wife? It's not rocket science. It's called the lack of the fear of God. But look at it from the positive side. Fear of the Lord is a continual flowing source when you're in your businesses making decision. It's a continual flowing source of God's wisdom that causes you to make good decisions. I don't know about you, but that just made me happy. Did you get something out of this? 
You get something out of this? I want every head bowed, every head bowed, every eye closed in every campus today. Paul the Apostle made the statement, this salvation is sent to you Jews and all everywhere who fear God. Something was stirred in you. And you desired what I have just shared. That means your heart has turned towards God and you are the easiest candidate to come into the kingdom. The only way you can come into the kingdom is to give your life fully and completely to Jesus Christ. It's not just praying a sinner's prayer. The Bible says he's the groom and we are the bride. And the Bible says in Ephesians 5 that it's an illustration of how the church and Jesus become one. When a bride walks down an aisle of a church with a white dress on, she's actually making a strong statement. She's saying goodbye to 3.9 billion men. She's saying, this is the one and only man I'm giving my entire life to. Jesus said, the only way you can have an authentic relationship with me is to give me your whole life. But when you give me your entire life, you lose it for my sake, you gain my life. And that's a great trade. Some of you in here, you love church. You love the people of church. You find kindness. You find hospitality. You find positive thinking, but you know you haven't given your life to Jesus. There is no other way to have a relationship with him than to do this. If you're here, whether it's any of our other nine campuses or right here, and you say, John, truth be told, I have not given my life to him the way a bride gives her life to that groom on that day she's married. I'm breaking up with everything that offends him and I'm giving my entire heart to him. If that's you and you say, I wanna do that, I want you to put your hand up high. I wanna pray for you tonight or today. I wanna pray for you today. Put up your hands really high. Wow, a lot of hands up. All of our campuses, put your hands up. Now, if you're in here or whether you're in one of our campuses and you say, John, I, I really do love God and I have a relationship with Jesus, but I lack the fear of God. Well, Jesus said, if you ask your father for the Holy Spirit, he'll give them to you. One of the manifestations is the holy fear of God. Put up your other hand. That's you. Put up both hands if you say, that's me. Can we pray, all of us? Say this out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for speaking to me. I'm so grateful for your precious word. Forgive me for living life my way. Apart from you, my creator. But today, that's all changing. At this very moment, I give my spirit, soul, and body everything I am, everything I have. I give it to you, Jesus. You are my Lord. You're my life. You're my love. Thank you that even though you are awesome, you are holy, you love me so much that you gave your life to die for me. What a wonderful love. What a wonderful Lord. What a wonderful Father. Thank you that I am now forgiven and I am now welcomed into the family of God. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let's give him praise for what he's done. I love you. God bless you.